Thanks, Jay. Uh, that's super encouraging, y'all. Thanks for, uh, it's just sweet for me sitting, hearing uh, those of your just new members sharing why you're joining the church. Like all that stuff's true and it's just super encouraging to hear it all. So thanks for, thanks for what you said. I uh, really appreciate that. My name is Jamie Borchik. If I don't know you, I'm a teaching pastor here at Park and uh, great to have you with us today. We're going to be in Psalm 30, as Jay said. And while you find it, I want to start by telling you a true story. This is a true story, okay? So believe it or not, True story. All right, Coolidge Winesett. What a name, Coolidge Winesett. He was 75 years old. He was a retired school custodian living in rural Virginia by himself in the early 2000s. And old Coolidge uh, lived on this property alone. This is rural Virginia. Anybody from Virginia in here? Okay, that's good. Oh, sorry, Steve. Um, I'm going to speak freely. This is rural Virginia. Okay. So dude is out in the boondocks and uh, lives by himself, and he doesn't have a bathroom in his house. What he has is an outhouse that he built 50 years prior, so back in 1950, so 50-year-old outhouse. And uh, dude normally goes out to eat, and he just uses restrooms out, out you know, wherever he's at, but on this particular occasion, it was a Saturday, he had to use the bathroom. And so Coolidge makes his way out to the outhouse. You can see an example up here. If, uh, if you're not familiar, this is what they look like. And uh, he makes it out to this outhouse, and he's doing his business. And while he's doing his business, the floor on the outhouse caves in, and he falls 15 feet down into the sewage pit. He lands on top of the subfloor, and there's some, even some nails that are kind of like poking him in the leg. It's a 75-year-old guy in rural Virginia, 15 feet down in a pit. There are critters and creatures that start creeping all over him. There's stink that's rising up all around him. His back is kind of pinned up against the muddy walls. And Saturday passes. He's yelling. He's screaming for help, but there's no one anywhere nearby. Saturday passes. Saturday night. Sunday. Still yelling whenever he can trying to get attention from somebody. Sunday passes, Sunday night, Monday, Monday night. For three full days, he's down in the pit. Finally, on Tuesday, and he's down in this pit, and he thinks he's done for. He thinks that's the end. He's stuck in the pit, and he has no way he's going to get out. His voice is hoarse. He's yelled himself silly. He can't. He's hallucinating. He, he, He doesn't think there's any hope. Finally, on Tuesday, he's down in this pit, and he hears... Off in the distance, maybe the, he hears the mailman show up at his place. He hears maybe a truck pull in or he hears footsteps. And he uses the last strength he has to just cry out for help. And the mail carrier hears something in the back of the house. And he goes to check it out and he walks back there and he finds Coolidge 15 feet down in this pit. And the rescue effort begins. And they lift this man out and they take him to the hospital. And they restore him to health and within a few weeks he's back good as new. It's a crazy story, but it's a true story. And I start with telling you that today because I want you, as we read Psalm 30, I want you to have in your mind this picture of Coolidge Winesett stuck in a pit, desperately crying out for help. That's the image I want you to have in mind as as we read Psalm 30 today. Praise is the point. But then in between the twin peaks of praise, David takes us into a valley of dismay. Twice in this psalm, once in verse 3 and then again in verse 9, 
David references going down into the pit. Elsewhere, he references death and Sheol and mourning and weeping. And in fact, even in verse 1, as David is praising God, he talks about being drawn up. And that's language that references the pulling up of a bucket from a well. In this psalm, it's as though David has fallen through the floor of the outhouse and he doesn't know if he's ever going to get out. And for that reason, this psalm is a song about pits and praise and the relationship between them. Now, many of you know that my day job is working with student-athletes at Northwestern. I want to show you a photo of uh, a sign that on game days, this is something they do every game day. As the football team makes its way on and off of the football field, one of the support staff holds up this sign and the players will slap it as they're going on and off the field. And what does that sign say? Trust yourself. Now look at verse 6 in our text. This verse is the key to understanding what's going on in this entire psalm. David tells us how he ended up in the pit. I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. Now we don't know the exact circumstances behind this psalm, but we do know the general contours of David's life. David rose from being a nobody shepherd boy to become the king of Israel. He then built Israel from being kind of an irrelevant newcomer nation on the world scene to being the leading central political player in that region of the world. He moved from tents and caves into a palace. He got rich. He became famous. He was super successful. When David said, in my prosperity, when he writes in my prosperity, he prospered in every sense of the word. David prospered. But then in that prosperity, look at what he said. I shall never be moved. Now the word moved here means to sway or to stagger. So David here is like a boxer saying, look, I'm in untouchable. You can't knock me down. You can't hit me. I'm too quick for you. I'm too fast for you. I'm the greatest. That's what David is saying. He's saying, I trust myself. He's slapping that sign as he walks on and off the field. And how easy is it for us to do the same thing? This kind of prideful self-reliance is both sneaky and seductive. Most of us never say it out loud. We never acknowledge it. But so often in life, and especially when things go well for us, deep down we think things are going well because we are the greatest. We think we are untouchable. You can't hit me. You can't knock me down. I'm the greatest. When we get a promotion or an award or a raise, when we get accepted into that school that we applied to, when our boss compliments us, when we accomplish that goal that we set, when things with our family, when our kids are doing really well and they're just behaving and they're, they're just awesome people, deep down in our heart of hearts, when those things happen, it's so easy to think, I did this. I'm the greatest. Am I the only one here? Anybody else? Okay. Like, we slap that sign. We trust ourselves, don't we? And that's where this psalm comes at us swinging. Because look at what happened to David when he trusted himself. Verse 7. 
By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. So David was standing strong. He was feeling cocky. And in his pride, he turned from God to trust in himself. And when he turned to trust in himself, what happened? When he turned away from God, God reciprocated. God hid his face. He looked away from David. And then everything for David fell apart. See, God is the power source that makes life possible. And when we are plugged into him, when we're trusting him, we've got what we need to prosper and to flourish and to thrive in life. But when we start trusting in ourselves, it's like we unplug ourselves from that power source. We pull the cord out. And without his power, we're done for. We're done for. And that's what happened to David. David was on top of the mountain. But then in verse 3, David is standing on the brink of Sheol. Sheol is the underworld. It's the grave, a wasteland, a void. It's kind of a Hebrew precursor to the hell that we would picture. Later in verse 3, David is facing the pit, an abyss that he can't escape. In verse 5, David is weeping. In verse 9, he's staring death in the face. His health is failing, and he knows the end might be soon. And in verse 11, David is mourning. He's preparing for his own funeral service. David is disconnected from the source, and now he is done for. And all of that leaves David dismayed in verse 7. The word dismayed means horrified. For David, it's like his life was a dream that suddenly turned into a nightmare. The sun was shining, and then all of a sudden, there's thunder and lightning everywhere. And all because David grew prideful and self-reliant, and he turned from trusting God to trust in himself. As we go through life, we fool ourselves into thinking that we are walking on solid ground. We are not. Life in a broken world is like walking on a thin slice of Swiss cheese. There are holes everywhere. And even the ground that we stand on is incredibly thin. We might think that we stand strong, that we'll never be moved, but that's nonsense. We are perpetually in a precarious predicament where we can always fall right through a hole and down into the pit. And what David points out here is that the one thing holding us up is not our own strength. It is the God who holds that slice of Swiss cheese in his hand and looks upon us with favor. If God were to remove his hand or even to open his fingers too wide, we could drop right through and find ourselves in the same position David finds himself in in verse 7. Here is the point. Trusting yourself does not work. Trusting yourself does not work. It always ultimately, inevitably, leads to the pit. So David is in the pit. And look at what David does when he finds himself in that pit. In verse 2, I cried to you for help. In verse 8, to you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. And in verse 10, Hear me and be merciful to me. Be my helper. When David finds himself in the pit, he does what Coolidge Winesett did 
And he cries out for help. He cries out to God to help him. In other words, he stops trusting himself and he turns back to trusting in God. Now, this is not rocket science. It's really simple. We all know this is an option, that this is probably the right option. And yet we don't always do this, do we? We don't always trust God. When we're in the pit, we don't always turn to Him. And why is that? Why don't we trust God? Well, there are obviously many reasons for this. But I think at bottom, all of the many reasons we could throw out, they boil down to this one thing. We don't trust God because we don't know the true character of God. We don't trust God because we don't know the true character of God. I want you to be honest for a minute here. I want you to think about how you think God views you. Catch that? I want you to think about how you think God views you. So imagine God looking at you. Imagine him looking at you right now. And if you could turn that mental picture of God into an emoji, what expression would there be on God's face? Okay? How does God feel about you? What does that emoji look like? Well, on the emoji keyboard, you can see the uh, iPhone emoji keyboard up here. On the iPhone, at least, the emojis on the left are all the happy, pleased, joyful ones. And then as you move across to the right, they become progressively more melancholy, and then sad, and then angry. And I think for many of us, even though we know all the Bible verses about God's love, the honest answer to what emoji face God would have when he's looking at us, it tends to be somewhere farther to the right on that keyboard. When God's looking at us, we picture him maybe flatlined, or frowning, or maybe even fuming. Deep down, perhaps because of hurts and experiences we've had in life, like deep down, many of us question if God can or will or even wants to help when we find ourselves in the pit. But look at how God responded to David in this psalm. Remember, David fell into the pit because he was trusting himself. He had disconnected from God. This was his own doing. He did it to himself. And yet, look at God's response to his cries for help. In verse 1, you have drawn me up. So God pulled David up out of the well. In verse 2, you have healed me. So David was in bad shape, but God was a good doctor who fixed him up. In verse 3, you restored me to life. David was on his deathbed, now he's very much alive. Then in verse 11, God turned mourning into dancing and swapped out sackcloth for clothes of gladness. So David was prepping for a funeral, but God threw him a party instead. And then look at verse 5. Verse 5 is the clearest and most important statement on God's character in this psalm. In verse 5, David writes, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Now this verse tells us several important things. First, it tells us that God does get angry. There are things that provoke God's anger. Sin makes him angry. 
Pride makes him angry. Self-reliance makes him angry. Turning away and unplugging from the source of all power, the, the greatest being who is or ever could be, like that makes him angry. Those are things that disconnect us from his favor and they provoke his anger. So that stuff makes God hide his face. God does get angry. And yet, God's anger is only temporary. It is but for a moment. It does not last. So it's like the anger of a good parent with a child. You parents here, you, you understand what I'm talking about, right? Like how many of your kids regularly, daily, maybe hourly, do things that royally tick you off? How many of you have that experience? Some of you are laughing, good, okay. But right this minute, as you're sitting here in church, are you just fuming about your children? Are you just like mad at them all the time, constantly? Like, no, like the anger passes. It's momentary. It's temporary. You know, the other day I was sitting on our, on our deck outside our house, and I was, I was enjoying a really sweet moment with one of my sons. I'm not going to name names to protect the guilty here. But we're just sitting on the deck. We're having a nice time. It's just me and him. And we were actually FaceTiming my parents, and we're having this conversation. It was just, it was just a sweet moment. Like, all is well. And my son is holding this rock in his hands. And he's just, like, playing with this little rock. And then all of a sudden, he just takes this rock, and he turns and he throws it. Now, he's trying to throw it into the yard, but he throws it, and he throws it too high, and it hits the top of our fence, and it bounces off the fence, and it hits the hood of my car and dents the hood of my car. I was angry. The emoji face would have been further to the, to, to the left. Like, it would have been over there, right? Like, it, would have, it, would have, it was one of those, it was a little red. Like, I was not happy about that. It was not cool. But as I'm standing here tonight, I'm not like still ticked off my kid about that. I worked through the anger. The anger was momentary. It's not the defining characteristic. And God's anger, it's for a moment. It's temporary. But look at this contrast. His anger is for a moment. And his favor is for a lifetime. The Hebrew word favor here, it means pleasure. It means God takes pleasure in you. He likes you. He's not against you. He's for you. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. And that favor, it's not for a moment. It's for a lifetime. Like how long does a parent love a child? Is there an expiration date on that? Like do they get to a certain age and you're like, no, nah, I'm done. I don't love you anymore. Like no, it's for a lifetime. It goes on forever and ever. It never stops. And so when you think about God's default setting, God's default posture toward us, is it anger or is it favor? Like anger is an anomaly. Favor is the norm. Favor is God's default setting. And so if God's face toward you were an emoji, like the default standard usual emoji, the one that would be like his, his icon at the top of your phone, you know, when you, when you like put your own little face thing in there. Like his default setting, the, the usual icon, it would be something far to the left, not to the right. Left, not the right. It would be the one over here. It would be the smile, not the frown. And you just need to know that tonight. Like God's favor is for a lifetime. Now look. There are certainly times where God disciplines his children. 
In David's case, David had grown proud and self-reliant. And what God did in response to David's self-reliance is he hid his face. He turned off the sunshine temporarily. God brought circumstances into David's life to humble him and remind him of the true source of all prosperity. But God did that all because of his favor. God is so committed to his people that he'll do whatever it takes to keep us committed to him. See, God knows where sin leads. He knows that the end of self-reliance is the pit forever. He knows that if we disconnect from him, we disconnect from life. And he doesn't want that for his kids. And so when we turn from him and we start trusting ourselves, what he does is he disciplines us to get our attention and get us back to him. But like any good parent, he does it not because he hates us and is out to get us, but it's because he loves us and he wants the best for us. Now here tonight, I'd imagine that there are some of you here who might be experiencing some of God's loving discipline right now. I don't know the circumstances of your lives. I don't know exactly what you're dealing with or what's going on. You might not even be aware of it yourself. But some of you, you look at your life right now and you're kind of in a pit. Like things are not prospering. They're falling apart. And you're wondering why. You're trying to figure out what's going on. What's the problem? Now, I don't want to oversimplify this. And I don't, I don't want to be, uh, I, I don't want to lack nuance in what I'm saying. So, so it, yeah, sometimes life is, is just plain hard. Like we live in a Swiss cheese world where sometimes there's holes that you just step into. Right? Sin affects everything. And so in a broken world, like hard things happen, even when you're completely innocent, when you're completely without fault. Sometimes suffering is totally undeserved. So I'm not, I don't want to oversimplify this or overstate it. But if you're in a pit right now, it is entirely possible that the reason you're in a pit is because of sin in your life. It is possible. Like, if, I want you to ask yourself some questions here. Have you been trusting yourself? Is there hypocrisy where you've been saying one thing but doing another? Is there pride and self-reliance going on? Do you have hidden sin that you've just been keeping in the dark? Is there a secret addiction? Is there a pattern of behavior you're not letting anybody know about? If the answer to any of those questions is yes, you might be in the pit for the same reason as David. And if that's you right now, or if that becomes you at some point in the future, this is what I need you to know tonight. God loves you enough that he will not let you get away with sin. He loves you enough that he will not let you get away with sin. Sin is fundamentally destructive. Sin destroys the sinner. Sin is the reason for all the holes in the Swiss cheese of this world. And sin ultimately sends you to the pit forever. If we persist in self-reliance, we will be forced to rely only on ourselves for an eternity apart from God. If we insist on unplugging from the source of life, we will spend eternity disconnected from that source, and we will have no life. And God doesn't want that for us. God loves you so much that he will do whatever it takes in your life to get you away from sin, including letting you experience the consequences of it. 
So you might be down in the pit right now. But what this psalm so vividly shows us is that God is eager to lift you out. He may momentarily turn away, but then he turns right back and he offers you his hand. He invites you to take hold of him so he can rescue you. He shows up to lift you out. And so if that's you tonight, like David, stop trusting yourself and start trusting God. Cry out to him. Ask for his help. Receive his mercy. Let him lift you up out of the pit. Now, throughout this psalm, there's an important pattern that I want to finish with. I want to point this out. This psalm begins on a mountain peak, and then it drops into a valley pit, and then it returns in the final verses to another higher mountain peak. And that pattern of peak, pit, peak is the very pattern of the Christian faith. See, the story of the Christian faith is the story of a God who made people to live on his mountaintop forever. But instead of trusting him, we trusted ourselves, all of us. We fell into the pit where we were separated from God because of our sin and our rebellion. But because he loves us, God didn't just leave us in that pit. No, he came for us. Jesus left the peak of heaven to enter into the pit of human history. In this world, of all those who have ever lived, Jesus alone lived a life of complete trust in God. And yet at the end of his life, he willingly went to the cross where he took the full force of all of God's anger against our sin upon his own shoulders. And on the cross, on the cross, the Father turned his face away as Jesus was crucified, died, and buried. Jesus went all the way down into the pit of death. And it was from the dismay of that darkest hour of history it was from that very pit that God the Father then graciously raised him up from the dead, lifted him up, healed him, restored him, and clothed him with gladness and glory forever and ever. See, the pattern of this psalm is the pattern of the resurrection. And the pattern of the Christian life is the pattern of the resurrection. To be a Christian is to die with Jesus. It is to die to your sin and to die to yourself in order that you may be raised with Jesus to a new life. A life of trust, not in yourself, but a trust in your gracious Heavenly Father. The Father turned His face away from Jesus so that He could turn His face toward us and we would turn our faces toward Him. And though right now we still live in a Swiss cheese world where weeping tarries for the night, it won't always be that way. Someday when Jesus returns, a new morning will dawn. And on that day, the sun will rise with God's everlasting favor. On that day, weeping and mourning will be no more. In their place will be glory and gladness, dancing and praise forever and ever and ever. And if you are a Christian here today, and if you are not a Christian here today, this can be your story. No matter what kind of pit you are in, that resurrection pattern can be the pattern of your life. The way you get into the Christian faith is by taking God's rescuing hand. And the way you stay in the Christian faith is by holding on to God's rescuing hand. And so take hold of him today. Trust God, not yourself. And if you are a Christian here today, this is already your story. This is what God has done for you in Christ. He is the hero of your story. And so the very least we can do, the very least we can do in light of all he's done for us in Christ, 
is to do what David is telling us to do in this song. In verse 4, David issues the only two commands in this song. He says, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. And in light of all he has done for us, how can we do anything less? Pray with me. Father, I will extol your name. I will praise your name. I will sing praises to you, O Lord. I will give thanks to your holy name. I will give thanks to you forever. We praise you tonight as your people. That though we deserve to be down in the pit, that we deserve to stay there because of our sin, our self-reliance, our turning away from you, we praise you that you didn't leave us there. But you came and you got us. You rescued us. You drew us up. We praise you for Jesus who came and he got down into the pit with us. And he carried us up. And we praise you that now we get to live a resurrection life. We get to experience life with you now and forever. That is the best news in the world. And it is worthy of all praise and all glory and all thanksgiving to you forever and ever. And so God, we be people who live lives praising you for what you've done for us in Christ. Until you return, until you set all things right, until you make every pit into a peak, would we be people who praise you through and through? And for those here tonight who maybe haven't experienced that resurrection life yet, who are down in the pit right now, whether it's, whether it's just fallen into the pit, whether they've never been out of the pit, or, or, or whether maybe it's discipline in their lives, for whatever reason, anyone who's in there right now, I pray that right now they would receive your offer of salvation. They would receive uh, your hand. They'd take hold of your hand, reaching down to lift them up. Would tonight be the night where that changes, where you lift them up out of the pit? Pray that we ask it in the mighty matchless name of Jesus Christ.